where people will come to us and they'll be like, there's no one that's going to want to do my really dull admin tasks or bookkeeping, things like that. And yet there is an entire industry of people that really love, you know, methodical, repeated tasks, the kind of stuff that you and me hate. So that you can absolutely find people that are way better than you. But even if they're not as good as you, especially on day one, because it's going to take them time to build up, it doesn't actually matter because most of the time just getting the thing done well enough is, is often good enough and they can then grow to, to be better. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Selling Online Courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name is John Ainsworth, and today's guest is Noel Andrews. Noel is all about connecting people. Professionally, he runs jobrack.eu, where he helps business owners hire actually awesome team members from in Eastern Europe. We've hired a lot through Jobrack, have done for many years. I fucking love it. It's absolutely fantastic. He personally, he loves arranging gatherings, parties, dinners, events, having great conversations with great people. And today, we're going to be talking about hiring, when to hire, who to hire, how much to pay them, how to hire successfully, how to manage a remote team, all these different things. Now, before we dive into our interview with Noel, I want to remind you that you can learn how to two to five times your revenue by going to datadrivenmarketing.co slash webinar. There's a recording of a 45-minute presentation that I gave to hundreds of online course creators about the process that we use with our clients to two to five times people's revenue. I have had people come up to me at conferences after watching this presentation who have made tens of thousands of dollars from just one of the techniques. I mentioned this last week, but we actually had this a conference me and Noel organized along with our friend Shona in London. Somebody came up to me and he said, I implemented the technique that you mentioned in your presentation. And I said, how much money did you make from it? He said, tens of thousands of dollars. I said, did you implement technique number two? And he's like, oh, no, I forgot there was anything else. <laughs> and I was like, all right, go back, watch it again, implement technique number two and come and tell me about it next time. So go to datadrivenmarketing.co slash webinar to sign up. Noel, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you here. Cheers, John. Good to be here, man. So talk to us about this. How do people know when it is the right time to hire? Oh, it's, it's really easy, but the unhelpful answer is it's normally about two to three months before you actually hire. It is always like way <laughs> earlier not, than you actually not When is the right time to hire? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? <laughs> Typically when you're kind of, you're feeling knackered, exhausted, overwhelmed, you haven't got enough time, all kinds of things. And but isn't all that the stuff that happens when it's time to hire? Like, no, do you know I, what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I think, so... Sometimes, but sometimes not, because a lot of times what will happen is people might get those feelings, but mm. still not maybe be able to afford to hire or maybe think that it's that they can't afford to hire. Okay. And so, you know, how do they know when to hire? It's ideally what you want to be doing is kind of laying the groundwork so that you, as an example, we talk to lots of people about, hey, hiring an assistant to get things off your plate best thing you can do is from the very start, even way before you're going to hire, start building a little list start jotting down little ideas and little tasks that you could get some help with, even when it's just the very first thing. And then as that list builds up, you gain confidence, go, oh, hang on, there's enough here to hire someone. Or actually, <clears throat> you've run out of time so much that, you know, you can do get more value out of your time by getting some help. So it ultimately comes down to either when you run out of time, or when you can't do the thing that needs doing. So it's either a time shortage or a skill shortage. One of the things someone said to me about hiring once was the easiest thing to do to start with for hiring is all of the stuff that's repetitive and actually quite straightforward. 
And so it's just like, make a list of all of the things you're doing yourself or that someone in your team is doing or whatever that you could really do with getting off your plate or getting off that more senior team members plate and then figure out, okay, how much benefit would I get from that? Because even if you're like, okay, I'm going to hire someone full-time and that's going to cost me whatever it is, I don't know, a junior person, like a, a thousand a month or 1500 a month or something. How much benefit does it have? Because if it saves up enough of your time that you can do more billable work for a client or you can build that next thing, it might actually be worth doing it kind of ahead of when you're knackered and everything's filled up. What's your kind of take on it? Do you actually do that? Like when you're thinking through this, like at a practical level, do you do that? Do you start making a list of here's all the things that I've currently got on my plate that somebody else could do? Or like, I know you've got like a decent sized team now, right? Like 10 people or something? Yeah, we 13 now, including me. Okay. So yeah, I do something called XDS and Dan Martell's got a similar tool in his book, Buy Back Your Time. And the prince, the idea being is that what you do is you just make a note, like you said there, what are the things that you're doing? How much time does it take? Does it give you energy or does it take energy away from you? And what would the cost be to delegate it down? And so I do do this typically very roughly, like about every three months or so, because mm -hmm. it's normally a good reminder for me to be like, oh, hang on a minute. I don't actually need to be doing that. I've already got a team member that could do it for me. Um, the thing that's happening literally right now is that I'm realizing more and more that there's things that I'm trying to make myself do. that I'm just not good at or I just don't mm. enjoy doing. And I've got a lot of resistance to getting help with that because in my head, I'm like, oh, I should be the one that does this. And it, that's not at all true. So yeah, I do that exercise of literally just writing down what are the things that I'm doing. And I just do it roughly. Some people will use Toggle or a time tracking app to really meticulously track what they're spending their time on. I just do it roughly, just making a note every few hours or every day, what are the things I've done? And then try and think about actually, is it in my zone of genius? And could I get some help with it? And because like you said, the value of our time and the things that we can do when we're really operating at our best is huge. Way more than, I don't know, six, 10, $20 an hour that we can hire someone for. Mm. One of the things I found useful for it, and I don't know if you've tried this, but like the Traction's got this system where they suggest you make, they call it an accountability chart, but just like an, an org chart, right? Of Here's everybody who we've got in the team. But their recommendation is do it for everybody who you should have in the team mm -hmm. in like six months time or something like that. And then kind of go, oh, I can see where we should be. And then you work backwards from that and figure out about hiring. I tell you what, though, a, a thing that I see with a lot of people is either they're like, what if I hire them and then later on I can't afford it? Or what if I hire them and they're no good? Or I, they, I think a lot of people, especially when they're starting out hiring, are like, I hire somebody and then they'll not be able to do it as well as I can. Any thoughts about either of those? Yeah, I think on the, them not being able to do it as well as you can, they, they may not be able to. That may be absolutely true. But to be honest, if they can do it 80% as well as you can, that is generally more than good enough, right? That is absolutely fine. And oftentimes they'll actually do it better than you can because they won't hate doing it for starters. They may actually be better at better suited to do it. And, and we all the time, I mean, you and me have had this conversation where people will come to us and they'll be like, there's no one that's going to want to do my really dull admin tasks or bookkeeping, things like that. And yet there is an entire industry of people that really love, you know, methodical, repeated tasks, the kind of stuff that you and me hate. So that you can absolutely find people that are way better than you, but even if they're not as good as you, especially on day one, because it's going to take them time to build up, it doesn't actually matter because most of the time just getting the thing done well enough is, is often good enough and they can then grow to, to be better. In terms of the affordability, I mean, this is one where it's really great to start kind of gently, right? You don't always, or you especially don't need to start hiring someone full-time. Start part-time, could be 10, 15, 20 hours a week. 
And if you hire from kind of more affordable regions of the world than London or the US or Canada, then it's not actually a huge amount of money. It can be really, really effective. And that then reduces the pressure on you. But also a little bit of pressure can be kind of helpful, right? So sometimes if you're like, hey, I know I've got to pay someone there $800, $1,000, $1,500 a month, it almost makes you not, you know, kind of waste that time that you're gaining going, right, how can I get out there and do it? And especially if you, I mean, I normally say when I'm hiring someone, I want to have high, high confidence that I've kind of got like six months of their money in the bank for that particular role on top of all of our payroll. But if I'm going to make an investment, I want to know that I'm good for at least six months. And then you just build it from there. And the vast majority of roles will pay for themselves. The first time I used JobRack, I know you know this, but for the sake of everybody listening, I think it would have been 2016. So before you owned it, mm, you and owned I... JobRack. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, who is it? Matt Newton. I saw him at a, a conference and I just had hired through JobRack and I'd hired someone who um, was, was great. And I was like, I just couldn't believe that. I tell you what originally happens. I saw a post he did on the DC, which is a, a group that Noel and I are both in. And he'd, he'd showed the average wages in all different parts of the world and was showing why he was hiring from Eastern Europe. He's like, okay, it's got people who are very well educated, got good internet, hardworking, and the average wages are about a third or something at the time, I think they were, of what they were in the UK. And I'd struggled to hire good people in the UK. And so I was like, oh, let me give this a bash. And I hired someone for like $800 a month, something along those kind of lines. And then he's turned out to be like absolutely brilliant. He's still with me today. And it just kind of blew my mind. And I think that from a affordability point of view is a really big deal, right? If you're like, oh, well, I would just, I would struggle to pay someone $2,000, $2,500 a month for this assistant role, whatever I might think I need. But I don't need to. I can pay somebody junior level, whatever it is, I don't know at the moment, 800, 1,000. We normally start people on 1,000 euros a month. And it's like, oh, I could do that. I could manage that. And it just changes the whole game. You actually get good people for that amount rather than, I don't know, in the UK, 2,000, I think you struggle to get somebody, somebody good. Yeah, and that's the key thing, right? It's not about saving money, but losing quality, getting worse people. It's about people that are equal or better to you know the kind of people that we could hire locally, but for way less money. And that's the key. I spend a lot of time talking to people and I often joke. It's like once you've had your first hire from Eastern Europe, you will be back to get your second and your third, exactly as you've done with your business and uh, mm. same with me and the clients we work with. Because it's that first one is like a little dip in your toe in the water. Like, are they going to be good? Are they not? You know, is this really, you know, can we believe the hype and the claims? And then it, it's just amazing. And people just build incredible teams because there's just a different kind of work ethic and, you know, cost of living is just lower. So, you know, amazing mm. people don't kind of need as high salaries, still pay them fairly, still pay them well, which both of us really do with our teams. But yeah, the opportunity is huge. How do you think about which roles to hire first? Because there's two like really different mm. trains of thought that I've heard about this. And I still feel like there's a lot of unpicking to do in terms of really making the right decision because one is you're doing everything well then hire an assistant to take the lowest level tasks off of your plate and i think there's real validity to that that's really really strong but then there's another one that says a really important thing to focus on is find somebody who does a job in your business that you're currently trying to do but would be brilliant at it like has been doing it for 10 years is like elite level and pay them a lot of money. And so that's two very different kinds of mm. hires. How do you think about that when you're making that decision? So 
the first is like, what's going to move the needle the most, right? What's in the way of you growing your business and doing the things that you want to do. And a lot of the time, especially in the early stage, that is going to be your time, right? If you as the business owner could do more calls or develop more courses or, you know, be kind of doing more marketing, whatever your kind of skill set is, a lot of time it's your time's the limit. And so if you can hire a pretty straightforward, but really highly skilled kind of team member to take things off your plate, that can really, really move the needle. There is, there are times when sometimes like you might not have the skills. So let's say you need to do a whole bunch of marketing work and that's just not your jam. If there's an area that isn't your skills that you need help with, then that's when you hire for that kind of role. But the problem is, as you said, those kind of A players that have really got, you know, 10 years experience doing the thing that you're struggling to do, they are expensive. And they're expensive in terms of both their salary, but also it's quite scary. Right. Mm. You know, your first hire being someone who is an assistant that's going to do things that you know how to do and you're going to train them to take stuff off your plate. That's it's not that scary. Right. It's quite straightforward. Hiring someone that's like a big hitter that is on a lot of money, but it's coming in to do stuff that you don't know how to do. That's that's quite intimidating. Right? I still find that intimidating because it's mm. you've got to have enough knowledge to be able to manage them and kind of bring them in. And that's really, really tough. So I don't know of many instances where people do that straight off the bat for their like first or second hire. Most commonly, the first hire will be like a, a really great assistant to take things off your plate so that you can then push on to the next level. And it might be that so that you can then go and learn the thing so that you can then hire maybe a freelancer or a fractional person to push that other area forwards. Often then it depends on the type of business, you know, is it like an operations manager next? Is it a you know fractional marketing person or part-time person? So generally, I would say probably at least in 80% of the cases that I see, it's an assistant in the, in the early days, someone that's really multi-skilled, can do all kinds of different things. Maybe they're doing social media, marketing, things like that as well, before getting to that true expert hire, because not only is it expensive, it's, it's also quite scary as well. So let's say you've decided you do want to hire. Maybe you've even thought Eastern Europe is the place for me, you know, go to jobrack.eu and check it out. And you've decided you're going to hire an assistant as your starting point. Maybe it's some other kind of a, a, a junior level role for within your course business. So maybe it's a video editor or it's someone to help specifically with stuff around social media or whatever it is you're hiring for, right? What's the steps you need to go through to hire well? What do people need to kind of be aware of just at like a high level framework kind of point of view? Yeah, so step one, most, most important step is to figure out what you actually want them to do. So a lot of people will jump on Google or jump onto ChatGPT and get like a job description or a job post for a video editor or an executive assistant. And there'll be a very standard vanilla kind of template. You will have seen tons of them. The problem with that is it talks about responsibilities and things like that, but without actually talking about what you want them to do, what are their actual outputs. So if you actually just make a list of if they'd been working with you for the past month, what would they have actually done? That's the best place to start, right? Because then you can be super clear about what they're actually going to deliver. So step one, figure out what you actually want them to do, right? That can form the basis of everything else. Step two, if you're doing it yourself, if you want to run the process yourself and find a job board, things like that, then you're going to need to create a job description, a job post. Again, ChatGPT is great for that. You know, you can feed it with those list of things you want them to do, and then it can, it can help you there. So create a great job post. And a job post needs to be a sales page, right? So it should look a lot like your sales page for your course. It should have your, your branding on it. It should maybe have a picture or a video of you on there. 
ideally have some social proof, right? If you don't have team members already, just include some testimonies from your customers. Get people excited about the idea of working for you. So step one, figure out what you need. Step two, a job poster is a lot like a sales page that is selling the opportunity to work with you. Step three, you've got to get some candidates. So you've got to go to the right place to get the kind of people that you want. So obviously jobrack.eu for really great people from Eastern Europe. If you're thinking more in the Philippines, then you've got onlinejobs.ph. There's similar sites for Latin America, South Africa, or if there's a very specific skill set, you might go to a particular job board or particular place for the kinds of skills that, that you're looking for. And also asking your network, right? If you can get a referral or a recommendation to someone who might be looking for work, then that can shortcut uh, a lot of this process. So you've got to find some candidates, get them to apply. And then the big thing in the application process is you want to make it simple and efficient. So I always recommend using an application form that helps you to filter people out really, really quickly, and then make sure you test them. So for some really weird reason, the entire hiring and recruitment industry uses interviews as a way of us choosing who to employ. And yet the crazy thing is, is you're not hiring someone to be good at interviews. You're hiring someone to do research or build lists of contacts or do video editing. And so what you want to do is have a test stage, just something that's maybe like a couple of hours of a test. Often, almost always, we will offer to pay for their time to do their test. Doesn't need to be a huge amount of money. But this is a chance for them to do representative tasks that you need them to do. So if you want someone to do video editing for you, give them some video, get them to edit the video for you, you know, cut it down, just make it a couple of hours of work. You really get to see not only how do they do the task, but also how do they communicate with you backwards and forwards as well, which is like hugely, hugely beneficial. So that really lets you see how they perform. Then you're going to do the normal kind of conventional interview, get to know them, dig into what are the things that they want. And then you're going to reference them. So speaking to a, a kind of a former employer or someone they worked with, and then finally make that offer. So figuring out what you want, you know, doing a sales page style job post, go and find some candidates, make sure you test them and make that hiring process as efficient as you can. Do a good job of an interview and getting to know them. Always take references and then, you know, make them an offer and hopefully find a, a really great team member. Yeah, the test task for us has been massive. We always, always do it. And we do it before the interview stage. It's like, well, if they didn't do the test task, well, why would we bother spending the time to interview them? And it's nearly always a task that we've done or somebody in, who would be in that role done recently. Like it's something that we've, we've actually had to do. So we remember how well we did it and we can look at how well the person in the team do it and compare against that and go, well, were they as good as that? Were they nearly as good? Were they miles better? Were they miles worse? And it's like, that kind of gives you a way of, figuring out who's actually competent at the thing yeah definitely and you're not actually looking for them to be necessarily as good as you would be because they don't have the context necessarily they haven't got as much information as you it's just you're looking to go are they on the right lines and do they show that kind of effort commitment and actual skill that you know you think yeah actually you know what if they've been onboarded and they were working with us that would be a good standard how about there's three so if someone's hiring for for the funnel work so, so course creators typically have got a few different angles right of, of the kind of roles they're going to be doing they've got actually creating the courses where it's almost definitely going to be them on camera they might be hiring somebody for helping with curriculum design shout out to mariana pena who we always point people to but a lot of that they're going to be doing themselves that's going to be on them there's the traffic side of things so that's going to vary massively you know if they're doing seo it's going to be writing articles doing link building are they hiring an agency are they doing it themselves what's the kind of process around you writing new articles it might be youtube videos in which case it's hiring video editors possibly helping with that it's hiring people for uploading stuff on social media cutting and, and editing all the videos 
So that's two kind of angles on it. And, and the last one, the one that we're involved with, is the funnels and email marketing side of things. So then there is copywriters, designers, and someone for helping out with the tech side of things. Most of those probably people aren't going to be hiring someone full-time, probably even part-time to start with. Do you reckon if someone's, do you think all of those for our audience, if they're not big enough that they need someone full-time, it's just an upwork kind of a job? Where would you suggest people go? So it depends how much work you've got and how long-term it is. So if you've got a project and you want, I don't know, let's say you're moving to active campaign, right? And you want some help setting up. It's a one-off project, reasonably defined, then yeah, doing getting kind of a project member of staff or a project person from Upwork can be absolutely great. I think if you've got an ongoing need, then when I talk about part-time, the ideal is it's at least 10 hours a week because you want it to be significant enough for them. If it's not, and it's just like two, three hours a week, it's just not that significant. They're unlikely to prioritize you. Now, I'm a massive fan of real team members. So even like part-time, we've got some part-timers on the job rack team who are absolutely amazing and have been with us for a long time. So it doesn't have to be full-time. That's super key. The thing to bear in mind with Upwork is it's a bit like Tinder, right? Maybe Tinder. In the <laughs> I'm looking forward right. to this. All right. Yeah, I'm going to like this, right? So <laughs> these days, Tinder, all of their billboards around London, right, is all kind of saying that Tinder's about serious relationships. Okay. That wasn't always the case. And Upwork is similar, right? Most of the people are, are on Upwork are looking for multiple gigs and multiple clients. They're not looking for permanent long-term work. There are exceptions to that. But when you hire someone from Upwork, you need to have that conversation. Hey, have you come off the apps? Are you just working with me? Or are you kind of like into working with me for the long-term? Because you don't want to build your business around someone that you think is a long-term team member when they're looking for a couple of months work before they're going to take six months off maybe. So it's a lot of it's just about figuring out what is it that you need? Is it a project? Is it short-term? Is it long-term? And then go into the right place, but even you know, Upwork can be the right place, but just asking them those questions and seeing if your motivations align with theirs. All right, so let's say someone's decided they want to hire, they want to hire an assistant like we've talked about, they want to get somebody part-time or full-time. They've got all the steps figured out in terms of what that person's going to be working on. They're working on their job ad for it. They're figuring out a test task. How do they figure out how much to pay them? What is a good wage for different roles, this kind of assistant role in Eastern Europe? And how might that vary depending on the, the flavor of that assistant role? Yeah, so it depends a little bit. The key things is what do you want them to do? So if you want a really good, solid virtual or as we normally call it, executive assistant, then we're typically looking about kind of eight to ten dollars an hour. Someone really smart, really switched on with experience of being an EA and that wants to be an EA, that not just using it as a stopgap before they go off and do something else. So someone that's kind of kind of you know, wants to be your assistant for the for the long term. If you want someone that's maybe a bit more content oriented, so that, you know, they're super organized, but they're, you know, maybe a bit of video editing, bit of audio editing, things like that, then that might push you up a little bit higher. So that might push you into like maybe nine to 11, maybe $12 an hour, something like that. 
we do kind of quite a few of those kind of roles where someone's coming in and yes, they're doing things for you, but they're also being like your content administrator. So chopping up podcasts, videos, shorts, reels, etc., and just keeping that machine going whilst also being really methodical and organized and putting kind of process around it. We generally don't hire much below about $7 an hour now. That tends to be the minimum costs have increased, well, everywhere, but especially in Eastern Europe. But that gets you really, really kind of good people. As you get up into kind of specialities, if you want like a really great, I don't know, SEO specialist or paid ads, PPC person, that's going to head north up into probably close to like $15, $20 an hour, something like that. Still very, very affordable, but you know, not the same as just hiring a, you know, kind of a, a kind of a, yeah, an entry level kind of assistant. So in $10 now, just doing a little bit of back of the envelope maths works out as about $1,600, yeah. $1,700 yeah, a I'd, month. I'd normally say I base it on 160 hours a month, so 40 hours a week. So you're talking about $1,500, $1,600 a month for a full-time amazing executive assistant that isn't just about inbox and calendar management, is about like all aspects of your life, personal as well. You know, their, their job is to make your life easier. And Polly, she's my amazing EA, you know, every day she says, what can I take off your plate today? And it acts as a prompt for me to delegate because, you know, sometimes we're not great at letting go of things. And it acts as a prompt for me to think and go, oh, hang on a minute. I don't need to be doing this task. And then I can ask for help with it. Yeah, that's a good one. Did you get her to yeah. give that prompt? Okay. It came, it came from a Ramit Sethi course called Delegate and Done. And it, it was a live workshop that he did with his EA. And they had a bunch of tips. And one of them was that she asks him every day, what can I take off your plate? And I, instantly I was like, oh, that's good. Because I'm the worst for this, right? Like, I think I make good use of Polly, but there's a lot of stuff that she'll catch me doing things from time to time. She'll be like, have you been booking your own WeWork, like kind of like desk bookings? And I'll be like, oh, busted. And sometimes it's just it, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, it's just quicker. It's not just quicker. There's no way it's quicker than me actually just shooting her a voice note and being like, hey, Polly, can you book me this, 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 and this, and this? And it's just getting in the habit of, you know, not doing these things myself. Nice. What about, so you used to manage teams in person, right? When you, mm. you were, what were you, like senior yeah. person? I what was your old job now? <laughs> so I used to be head of IT for yeah. EasyJet or something like that, wasn't it? I used to do some work with Flybe, the airline. So I was head of okay. IT and operations director and a bunch of different stuff for big kind of corporate tech companies. What did you find? What have you seen as the pros and cons of managing a team remotely versus in person? So, so I mean, my biggest team was 120 people. So it was a big team with lots of levels and hierarchy in that. It can be great. Just the ability to kind of just huddle around a desk to solve a problem mm. can be great in person. There is less, in some senses, there's less chance of like miscommunication and misunderstandings in person. But at the same time, there's just a huge amount of inefficiency for me being in person, whether that's people commuting, whether that's people just not being that focused, all the distractions of an office, et cetera. Whereas for me with remote, the as long there are certain things that we have to be really intentional about right so i'm working with my team right now to encourage them to the equivalent of pick up the phone right i'm like hey don't worry about sending a slack message if you want to just talk to someone just hit the huddle button it'll ring as if you're giving them a ring and so we're trying to kind of break down some of these kind of remote working norms of just sending a slack message or sending an email the big benefit with remote is 
generally people are so much happier from a lifestyle perspective. It gives them tons of freedom. They can have the life that they want while still working really hard, building a great career. And we're not about, you know, laptop toting nomads working from the beach, right? All of our team have a proper fixed home office type setup, are working generally pretty fixed hours and see it as a real job and a real career. So we kind of, I think it's the lifestyle benefit. And as a result, we get access to people of a way higher caliber than if we were just hiring within a commuting distance of, you know, wherever I happen to put the office. And that's before we get into the cost side of things. All right. If people want to go and check out JobRack, what's the website address? Yeah, head to jobrack.eu or feel free, just email me direct, noel, that's N-O-E-L, at jobrack.eu. And what's the options there? What can people, how can Mm. people use that for helping with hiring? So nice and simply, you can post a job ad uh, and kind of run the process yourself if you feel kind of comfortable and happy doing that. Or if you want to save typically like 50 to 60 hours and get kind of real kind of experts working on your behalf, much like John and the team at Data Driven Marketing do, then we've got a full done with you service that we can actually help you and kind of really guarantee really great results. And we've used both of those. We always, whenever we're hiring, always post job up on JobRack. It's like our main source of leads for people coming in. It's fantastic. Couldn't recommend it more highly. It's where we point all of the people in our group coaching program to go and make their hires for if they are doing full-time hires. And we've got some people who've built up a team of like 10 or 15 people. So thoroughly recommend it, jobrack.eu. Noel, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time, man. No worries, John. Good chat.